0: Hi there, this is Paulina Cameron, CEO of The Forum, where women entrepreneurs thrive and your host for this podcast. Welcome to season three of The Go To for entrepreneurs in the know. The Go To is brought to you by The Forum in collaboration with the Scotiabank Women Initiative and generously supported by the Women's Enterprise Organizations of Canada. I'd like to acknowledge that production of this podcast is taking place on the unceded and ancestral lands of the Coast Salish peoples, specifically the Squamish, tsleil and Musqueam nations. On our last season, we dove into resilience, and this season is all about the builders, the women entrepreneurs who are building businesses with big visions, building teams with great impact, building stronger communities, and growing our economy. They are the women behind the products and services that we admire. Their stories will take us on a journey and give us a peek into what's happening behind the scenes with their businesses at this critical stage of their growth, and will bring forward great nuggets of applicable wisdom and a solid dose of inspiration. Let's dive in. Okay, and just before we dive in, listen up. At the end of the season, we will be giving away a pair of Apple AirPods Pro courtesy of our friends over at TELUS so that you can have a delightful podcast experience on the go. All you have to do is enter to share your feedback. What did you love? What would you love to see going forward? Who would you like to hear from? Submit your thoughts at theforum.ca slash feedback And we will draw one lucky winner at the end of the season. In 2010, Emily launched How She Hustles, a Toronto-based network that connects diverse women through social media and special events. With a small but mighty fierce freelance team, Emily leads this community with a digital reach of over 18,000 diverse women. Through her network, Emily has produced over 20 sold out events and Startup and Slay, the digital series for diverse female and non binary entrepreneurs, sponsored by CIBC, Rogers Sports Media, and Shopify. Most recently, Emily hosted a roundtable with Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and was invited to meet former First Lady Michelle Obama. Thank you so much, Emily, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation.
1: So am I. It's
0: amazing that it took technology to connect us from coast to coast, but I'm glad we're here. Grateful for it. I'll take it however we can get it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, Emily, so take us back to 2010. Tell us where it started and take us forward to how it's going. Ooh, great question. Okay, how much time do we have? No, <laughs> really. um, all right, 2010. 2010,
1: I was living a completely different life. And of course, our whole planet was different. Um, I was working behind the scenes in marketing and communications. I was a young woman trying to find my way in life and my career. And I was looking for my tribe. That's the short answer. I was looking for other young Black women who were trying to navigate their careers and um, but I didn't aspire to be in the C-suite. Uh, I didn't come, oh, I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth. And I really wanted to embrace my journey and hold on to my identity um, as a young woman, as a Black woman, as um, an immigrant's daughter. I just knew that I wanted to do things differently. So I uh, posted something on social media and I was like, hey, I'm looking to connect with other women who hustle. And amazingly women started responding right away at four o'clock in the morning saying, yeah, I'm hustling and working on a bunch of things too. I got one foot in community, one foot in corporate. And so it was just a simple idea of let's get together and talk about what are we working on? How can we support each other? How can we learn about each other's hustles? And that gave birth to the first How She Hustles brunch in May of 2010. Um, I would say over the decade, I've been super proud to hold space for uh, women of color, Um, But also all of our allies, How She Hustles is not exclusively for black women. It's for diverse women who see themselves as entrepreneurs on that entrepreneurial journey or as leaders coming into their own. Mm -hmm. And um, aside from doing lots and lots of events, uh, we've also done some really important digital projects that I think have given uh, an even greater platform for women to tell their stories,
0: especially women that we don't normally hear from. What a decade of legacy and impact that you began with a 4 a.m. tweet and then continued <laughs> to steward and hold space for. Let's talk about that because you dove into that digital space and the storytelling online space even before the last year of the pandemic necessitated it. And I know that the ripples that you were able to create and the reach you had were tremendous. So can you tell us about more about that project? Yeah, so...
1: Um... I started working behind the scenes at one of the big media companies in the country and uh, because my background is in journalism and I also studied PR and uh, I've always loved the arts. My first degree is in music Mm -hmm. and so uh, I was working behind the scenes for CBC at the time and CBC was getting ready to uh, reflect the nation through uh, a Canada 150 campaign. And nobody said that Black women weren't going to be part of the campaign. I, you know, that's not what happened. But there wasn't that specific call in, um, that specific inclusion piece that I was seeing yet. And so I just decided, why wait for it? Um, I had had all these women coming, black, white, and otherwise, um, to How She Hustles events for years at that point. And I thought, okay, so the women that I'm seeing who aren't often on the news, who have stories of being one of the few or one of the only in their industry, especially if they're black or racialized women, are they going to be part of Canada's story that this big broadcaster was going to tell? And so um, Black History Month was also coming up and You know, with humility, I have to say Her Story in Black, this digital series created by my brand, How She Hustles, happened before Viola Desmond was on a $10 bill, before Kamala Harris was in office, you know, before a lot of, before Black Lives Matter movement, even, you know, it it even kicked in really before Me Too kind of Mm. really reached its peak. And um, that's the thing with ideas is sometimes we, we... they're born out of necessity um, because of something that's happening in society. And sometimes they're born out of your own intuition and drive to see yourself and to Mm -hmm. raise voices, uh, raise up voices we don't often hear. So anyway, the project uh, was focused on profiling 150 young black women from the Toronto GTA area. Um, Most of them were under 40. Purely through the power of social media, we literally put out a call, and I said, "I'm going to do this project. I have no sponsor, I have no media partner, uh, I have no budget, I have no team, but I have a vision, and I believe it shall get done." And it did. Um, I will just say, as as an as kind of the end of the story, uh, which leads into other chapters of my life, I was really honored that we received an award, uh, a couple of awards actually, uh, but the most important was, you know it was huge to be recognized by the president of the company for a particular category. It was the president's award for relevance. And Mm. what he really said was this was a project that was not only relevant to so many teams within the organization, not only for its cultural relevance, but for the content, for the way it broke down silos, for the way it also connected with community and it was relevant to our audiences. And so, um, As a marketer and as a content creator and as somebody who is also from um, an underrepresented community, uh, it's a project that will stand the test of time.
0: Oh, Emily, I just got goosebumps listening to you the whole time. If people want to find and see the campaign, does it still live somewhere digitally for them to do so? It does. I am uh, revamping my website, so you'll be able to find lots of it at howshehustles.com.
1: That's a great place to go. And also my YouTube channel. Uh, You can watch uh, highlights, different stories uh, there. Um, There's a lot of content that was put into that project. And if you just type in Her Story in Black in Google, you'll find lots or go to my site.
0: Thank you. Uh, When you were speaking, what really struck me, Emily, is that you are so clearly clearly so masterful at hosting and facilitating and holding space in such a thoughtful and intentional way and i'm really curious where you've learned that or who you've learned that from my parents really laid a i'm telling you this pandemic one of the silver linings is that
1: i got to spend time with my parents a lot Mm -hmm. And to ask them questions that I'd never asked them before. I was actually able to interview both my parents for almost two hours separately, just about their life journey and what they learned about coming to Canada, building a life, building community, and what they were hoping to impart to us. And even as a child, my parents brought us around to community events, and we would kind of sit at the knees of elders and listen to... You know, um, folks from the Caribbean, folks from Africa, talk about the importance of community, talk about the importance of sharing stories, oral history, um, and not forgetting where you came from, not forgetting the sacrifices of others. I guess I would say family has really shown me the importance of community, and that has extended into my career and my life's work.
0: Mm, So beautiful. I wonder if you have found a way to integrate and bring that forward in the more corporate environments i often hear you know especially from from young women who say they they feel this kind of duality or Um, like there's perhaps maybe misalignment with some of the values that they hold near and dear and how they feel they can or can't show up in the workplace, for example, especially early on or even from entrepreneurs who are running their business that there is, you know, a deep value or impact embedded in their business, but they don't necessarily want to be forward with it because they don't think it might serve their business goals. And so I'm curious how you marry that.
1: Yeah, I mean... um... I transitioned out of the corporate world in the capacity I was in previously. Like I kind of went from full-time entrep- full time employee with a side hustle to full-time entrepreneur. And it's interesting now because some of the big brands that I used to work with both in the nonprofit and the private and the public sector have now become my clients
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: because I also do some consulting work. So it's really interesting that your values can stand the test of time, but the way you express those values can change over time. So Mm. if you always valued being connected to community, you always valued inclusion, you always valued doing things differently, there are different ways to express that and to make that real. And it doesn't mean you have to have the corner office to do so. What it's really about is figuring out how I walk my values when, as you know, as as being in the entrepreneurial space and how much you interact, like every dollar counts and you have to be accountable to things. And um, it's hard to make the decisions that are right sometimes when the bottom line is staring you right in the face. I would say one thing that's been really critical for us is How She Hustles. Since that first event in 2010, we have absolutely prioritized um, collaborating with and flat out hiring Uh, as much as we can in every situation, um, no matter how big or small, uh, women and women of color to do the work. Whenever there is an opportunity for me to pay somebody to do the work in a community that is rooted in diverse women, one of the things I'm constantly asking is, who do I know who might be a woman of color or a female entrepreneur, self-identified woman entrepreneur, who could do this work? And so it actually became a really interesting uh, systemic barrier that I was trying to tackle. Because then I would go into the venue and say, well, if you want my business, tell me what you're doing to create an inclusive environment to bring in to diversify your vendors and your suppliers. And I had to make some tough choices because for a lot of venues, in order to bring in your own caterer, even though if they aligned with the values, they're charging you a 25 to 40% landmark fee. Mm-hmm. Right, so you have to pay more to bring in someone. But I was willing to pay the cost after the first, maybe the second, the third time because I realized what started to happen was when these venues started to see the energy that was so different. When all of a sudden you have 150, 200, 250 black, brown, and all kinds of women coming into a space, that changes the energy right off the bat because a lot of people haven't seen that, right? Not in a professional networking capacity in Canada. That's one. Two, when they're like, wait a minute, you mean down to your security guard, your DJ, your event planner, your caterer, these are all young women of color? We've never even heard of them. When people started to see, yeah, it's possible to have a cocktail reception that people are raving on, that is trending on social media, that is bringing out journalists and CEOs and women from the community that, isn't rooted in wine and cheese, but is actually about ginger beer, soca, and samosas or patties, and people still love it and feel like it is on par, it just created just a completely different narrative about what networking looked like. And I think it also made the guests start to really crave it. We started to just attract people were flying, driving. Like it was It was kind of mind-blowing. People would get up at, literally get up at 12.01 and they would set their alarms and they would buy tickets for as many people as possible and then go back to sleep. They'd like, got my ticket. And the tweet would go out at like 12.01. I was like, oh my gosh, do you guys not sleep? <laughs> but it told me that it wasn't just about people getting together. It's about the intention. And I was also very intentional about telling people that. You may not see every single person who built every single aspect of this event or this digital project, but I'm telling you because it's a principle thing. And it's also about getting us all to be a little bit more self-aware. If you hadn't thought about it before, the next time you have a big company party or a big, big event, ask, who are we hiring to do the work?
0: I, I love what you're talking about here because in you know big corporate government land, we're talking about procurement, right? And that's really the terminology that is used there. And it's so simple. Like I, I find that sometimes these terms get so complicated. Procurement, you mean just you know who the supplier is? <laughs> like who you're hiring, that's who you mean? And you don't have to be a big company or big government to make those decisions. We make those decisions every day. And I'm so curious whether you experience this too. I would be willing to bet that you did as well. We have a similar philosophy at the forum and have always brought in women to any any of the roles from, you know, external graphic designers to caterers, et cetera. And an event that we hosted in Toronto with one of our corporate partners, we brought in an amazing caterer. It's two uh, queer women of color who run the business and they had, of course, the best food, as you Mm -hmm, would mm -hmm. expect, and like the most beautiful presentation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And like the food itself was worthy of the whole event, let let alone the content of the event. <laughs> um, but we actually heard from them after the company now regularly has them as a supplier because again, they experienced it and became part of it. So it so I always try to think of like the broader context and impact that it can further have. Emily, I'm curious. Uh, I'm curious what today and right now this time holds for you as you've been, I know you've been on a space of self-care right now and practicing the power of the pause. I'm curious what this time has meant and how you're thinking about it, how you're moving through it, how you're being in it.
1: Yeah, for sure. The power of the pause. I've been talking about that. I've been living in that. I've been feeling it. I'm like, man, I think I'm going to write a whole book about the power of the pause. Um, so often when we get to a certain milestone, our first inclination is to blow past that milestone to the next one. Feeling that pressure, feeling that drive. Yeah, I saw the hand go up. I saw that hand go up. So up. Guilty. She's like, preach, confession, testimonial. Um, Give me but... my penance, sister. <laughs> you know, but we feel that, that, okay. I I hit like, I got this award, now what's the next one? You know, I sold out this gala, what's the next one? I actually decided for the first time in a decade to go the other way. Instead of immediately being like, great, I got to year 10. What's happening for year 20? Great, I got this award. Now what's the next thing I wanna go after? Great, I got, no, I went the absolute opposite. And for me, the opposite right now is instead of reaching for the next thing, I'm gonna reflect and give thanks for what's Mm -hmm. already happened. And I think that we don't take enough moments of gratitude. We are so busy hustling for the next win that we really don't appreciate what we've already accomplished. Not only appreciate it, but really unpack it. Like, what was life trying to tell me through that win? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: What was life trying to tell me through the things that preceded that win, which could have been losses, bumps, scraping my knee, falling flat on my face? and even when we do, quote unquote, win, why? Like, okay, I'm sitting here in my in this very moment. I have been less active on social media. I have been um, declining keynotes and interviews and passing them on to other people. I've been spending even more time with my kids. Um, I've been looking back on the body of work and really asking myself where can i do my best work where can i have the most impact because it's easy to keep doing what we've always done if it brings us success um how do i leverage the agency the social capital the expertise the years that i've accumulated now you know i'm not 25 anymore i'm not old but you know what i mean like how do i really take that and so now it's about Listening more. What do people need? Is there a need out there? Is there a movement out there that I can help to support, that I can lend my energy to? Is there work where I can help to be a coalition builder and a gatherer and even more of a connector? But it's also possible to really send a powerful message to people when instead of being louder, you're quieter. And I hope the message that I'm sending to people is especially to women and especially to racialized women who are entrepreneurs. I hope my message is it's okay to rest. It is critical to reflect. And you need to recharge before you can do the next thing.
0: There is such strength in resisting that urgency like that that to me I look to that as the true model of leadership and power in a way that the noise doesn't feel as as intentional as aligned anymore I feel like maybe it used to but I think it's become too much too like there's just too much of it
1: I'll just share a super quick story before we kind of because I know we're, we're we're getting we're getting close to, to, to our home stretch but um I remember when how she hustles one of our most popular events for five years was a, an annual women's brunch and so you know by the time we did our fifth one, not that it was the you know people host galas and all this stuff, but at the time there really wasn't anything like it in Toronto and I decided that that was the last one I was going to do. It sold out so quickly. We had a waiting list. It was packed. It was like at the height of kind of our event production work for the first five years. And people just couldn't believe why I would stop. They were like, what, what are you doing? Like, this is the best one yet. Like, you have to keep going. Like, you nuts. And I was like, nope, it's time to stop. And I remember getting so much lovingly, loving backlash, but I was found. And I was firm because I knew that if I just kept doing that, I wouldn't have space to do what was meant and what was next. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And when I stopped, I didn't have the answer. It's not like I had a plan, but I stopped so I could make space for the answer.
0: The power of the pause, Emily, and the power of space, intentionality, and legacy Emily, for those who want to continue learning from you or watching your silence, (laughs) but then be the first ones to hear and be deeply leaning in, you know, there's this great parenting advice that I once heard of, if your kids are screaming and you want them to listen to you, whisper instead of screaming back. So instead of doing that start whispering i sometimes employ it um where can they make sure to follow you so that when you are ready and sharing they are there with you
1: love it love it well thanks for the opportunity i would say instagram is my jam um so you can find me at instagram on instagram at how she hustles i'm also on twitter i'm on facebook um but instagram is definitely my jam you can also sign up for my newsletter at howshehustles.com
0: thank you so much emily We're now going to take a quick pause before we hear from our next guest. The go-to for entrepreneurs in the know is the outcome of a collaboration between the Forum and the Scotiabank Women Initiative. Let's take a moment to hear about a generous supporter. The Forum
1: is pleased to have teamed up with the Scotiabank Women Initiative. Did you know that they have an advisory board consisting of Scotiabank executives who share their expertise during mentorship advisory sessions? They cover a variety of subjects for women entrepreneurs. To join the program, go to scotiabankwomeninitiative.com slash join
0: now. Being an entrepreneur is life-changing, often deeply impactful and energizing, and it can also be overwhelming, lonely, and challenging. Whether you're thinking about starting your own business now, or you've been at it for years, we are here for you. We offer outcome and impact-focused programs, education designed specifically for entrepreneurs, and a deeply supportive community. Our entrepreneurs say that the highlight of their time with us is not only the tangible results they experience within themselves and their business, but also the incredible sense of community with other women who share similar goals, values, and visions. Visit us at theforum.ca slash discover to join us and learn more about how to be part of the community of education, mentorship, and support. Laura Nezri Chatrit is the founder and creative director of Maison Tess, an online Canadian luxury home linen brand offering premium quality and sustainable bedding that brings your home to life. With a background in fashion and real estate, Laura launched Maison Tess in 2017, who, when decorating her dream family home, realized there was a gap in the market when it came to finding bedding that was both practical and stylish. As Laura explains, we aim to help people dress their homes the same way they do their wardrobe, with fashion people dressed to show an authentic expression of who they are, and that is exactly the feeling that we want to bring into your home. Laura named Maison Tess after her family. T for Thomas, her husband. E for her son, Eli. And double S for her daughter, Sasha. Okay, Laura, so I'm so curious. You started this business back in 2017, and it's been four years, including the last year of a pandemic. How is it going?
2: Um, it's going well. I have to say that um, our business model was really um, was really made to be strictly online. So the pandemic for us was a hit on a personal note, but business-wise, it was business as usual for us. If anything, we saw a huge increase in demand because people were home more and maybe realized that their house needed a bit more tweaking than they thought. Mm-hmm. So um, they were very much active on online and looking for brands who are able to provide a retail service uh, exclusively online. And we were there for that. And we were prepared.
0: Prepared and ready for that. And as I understand it, have done a lot of work to really have a great customer experience. I know that's something that's been really important to you because for you, Mm -hmm. you have this great phrase of, you know, you want to feel the brand as a consumer. So when you were developing it, what was your philosophy? What was your approach?
2: The philosophy wasn't so much black on white, like this is who we are going to be. It was really based on my personal experience. I am an avid consumer. Um, I have no problem saying it. I love shopping online exclusively. It's part of maybe my age or just maybe the fact that I'm working. So it's just more accessible for me. And I know what makes a good brand, not because I have a special talent, but because I'm a consumer. So I know what I'm looking for and I know what kind of service brings me back to a specific brand. So our customer service is really based on that. How can we make our customers feel special, feel mm-hmm. heard, and give them the service that they want? And with that in mind, we have different things put in place um, that I'm sure we're going to go into detail uh, along the way. But one of the main things that we offer and that we've offered from day one is a 30-night sleep trial. If ever you are unsatisfied within 30 nights of receiving your goods, no questions asked, you can mm-hmm. return it no problem. And that's something that I think uh, speaks highly of our service, but also speaks highly of our, the quality of our product.
0: So I'm curious, you talked about that customer service component. What are other examples of ways that you bring that to life?
2: In terms of customer service? Mm-hmm. Well, we really try and provide things in a seamless manner. Um, at the beginning, um, we would Talk to our customers one on one and try and understand why they were returning just to get more insight. But we found that that process was something that was really tiring for a customer. A customer Mm. who wants to return doesn't necessarily want to go back and forth via email. They just want to return. So we've made, we've made this quite simple on our website. There is no interaction with us specifically. Every time that we do see that there is a return or something that is, that catches our eye, our CRA will reach out to the customer and ask more specific questions and free to them to answer or not, but it's really just to gain more insight. Um, we also try and provide our customers with not only a good experience in terms of the website experience, but also um, in the in the products that they are purchasing and the values that we hold within the brand, mm-hmm. our values to me that um, customers are looking for today. They wanna mm-hmm. make sure that what they are buying maybe somehow supports their economy, so Canadian. Uh, supports female founders, so here we are, and um, yeah, and uh, supports different uh, different uh, sustainability factors, which we take very seriously, and we make sure that all of our products have some sort of added value in terms of of, of sustainability, eco friendliness, and just all around respect for human beings involved and the planet. It, it seems very basic, but it, it demands an extra step. Sadly.
0: Well, and sadly for the fashion industry, that's not very basic or commonplace. And so I know yeah. that finding the right manufacturing is something that you were very intentional about. What was really important for you for that? And, and where did you end up landing with it?
2: So when I started this journey, I knew what I didn't want. It's very hard to say like this is the manufacturer that I want because when you're in Canada, when you're, you know, somewhere across an ocean, you're not really sure where to go. I knew that I didn't want anything that was mass produced. I didn't want a product that had synthetic in it. I wanted something where I was reassured that um, the product resembled the values of the company. So with that in mind, I kind of X'd out a certain part of the world that I knew I didn't want to deal with and it brought me um, to Europe and it brought me to a lot of research and that was really one of the bigger steps that I had um, to launch this project was to find the right manufacturer because you can have all the ideas in the world but you need Mm -hmm. someone to to produce them for Mm -hmm. you. So uh, one thing led to another and um, with my network and their experience in retail, um, it led me to Portugal, it led me to different manufacturers that were doing mainly garments. And then a little bit more research, a little bit more, oh, I think I found someone, you know, just getting people talking on the phone in Portugal who really didn't want to give me the time of day ended up being, um, I was really pushy. I was like, okay, I understand, but can you please leave me, tell me a town, tell me a person, whatever it is. And it ended up, uh, I ended up falling on a specific town in Portugal. And um, I found my manufacturer, I found three. And from the three, I narrowed it down to one, uh, simply because of the beautiful human relationship that him and I had over the phone. It was honest, it was straightforward. He understood exactly what I was looking for. Uh, on paper, this is a um, mill that is fourth generation, so father and son. And I really like that aspect of family because family is very mm-hmm. important. And it's also a big inspiration behind Maison TES, the home. And so it was father and son, and they are specialized in small to medium businesses, so they don't mass produce.
0: And that was really important to me. The other piece I want to ask you about, because I heard you mention it a couple times, is the pride in being a Canadian business. So I know I understand that one of the key decisions that you made was to pull your U.S. store and really focus on Canadian as a channel. And I'd love to hear more about why. And I do often hear entrepreneurs talk about, you know, if we want to grow, we have to go to the U.S. There's not enough market here. So what are your thoughts on that? Clearly, you disagree.
2: (laughs) It's not that I I disagree, sure, of course I disagree. It's that we ended up opening uh, our store in the U.S. And truth of the matter is that we're in Canada, and I'm bringing it back to my consumption, um, to, to, to the fact that I'm such a consumer, when I shop online in the US, I'm really frustrated because I have mm-hmm. to pay a ton of duties and taxes, and it could be the coolest brand in the world, but just because of where I'm situated in the world, I'm not having a good experience. So that's just a Canadian going into a US market. For Tess, I was investing in the US market, and I was actually sitting down with, with my, um, my accounting team. And I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to invest all this money for a market that doesn't even belong to me. For what? For what? There is so much more to do in Canada. There is so much room to grow. There are so many customers who would love to have a brand that is proudly Canadian, that knows their market, that knows their consumers, that understands the need of the East Coast and the West Coast and really deep dives into that. We should have the best. So I just really want to focus on that because... Like we mentioned a few minutes ago, it's not the question of gaining more market value and dollar value in the U.S., but it's succeeding in where you're from and having pride in that. And, and I really am proud.
0: Mm, I hear that pride come through, and that feels so powerful. I want to ask you, as you've been growing your business, your D2C online what do you feel has really contributed to your success? I mean, you've had such tremendous growth, you know, a th- you've had many months where you've had a thousand percent month over month growth, 600 percent year over year. Um, What as a D2C brand specifically do you feel has really supported growth? Often we hear, you know, social media or working with agencies. Can you walk us through kind of when and how you leverage some of those pieces?
2: For sure. Um I think that success, well, the success that we've had in the past year really isn't due to one specific channel. I think that it's due to keeping your eye on the price for a very long period of time, for almost over three years, and assigning different um, targets to different channels of your business, doing a little bit of social, doing a little bit of advertising, doing a bit of branding, really putting all these pieces together and hitting them every month, giving yourself targets every month to succeed in these different departments. At the end of the day, all these small efforts equal a big boom and the Mm. boom when you're in a startup is brand awareness we are on the internet we are not selling on a store in a major street in canada we are in a sea of brands and we need to To stand out. The way that you stand out is by reminding people that you exist through different ways. Social media is a huge asset for us. Press is a huge asset for us. Advertising is a huge asset for us. But I wouldn't be able to say, well, it's mostly because of that. It is everyone's effort in everyone's different department put together that equals success. Mm
0: -hmm. I love that, you know, that the 20 to 20 different things can add up to 100% altogether. Of course. So let's course. talk about also working with external um, external agencies perhaps. You know, there's PR agencies, ad agencies. Have you utilized them? What worked for you?
2: Of course. So when I launched the brand, I thought that people were waiting for me that, oh, Ms. Nantes is finally opening. I didn't really understand. You know, I, was, I went into this very naively. I went into this with passion. I didn't go into it with, like, a, a, a board of people behind me telling me, this is your launch strategy. I kind of went in, and I was like, okay, we'll see what happens. We'll fix it <laughs> when it gets broken. Like, I didn't really ask myself too many questions. So mm-hmm. with that in mind, I had taken on a PR agency, for the launch of my brand, and a big part of my budget was really assigned to them. In retrospect, that was a huge mistake, Mm -hmm. because a PR agency, when you are a young brand, can only do so much. You also need to give them content, you need to give them experience, you need to give them a story, you need to give them tools to work with for them to do their job properly. So a big part of my budget basically went down the drain, Uh, Fast forward four years down, right now I work with an amazing PR agency based out of Montreal called Rose PR. And not only am I working with them because they're an amazing team, but I'm also working, they're also working with me because we have experience and we have tools to give them. So Mm -hmm. working with a PR agency is really a collaboration. And honestly, working with Any other third party is a collaboration. It is never, here is your task, do it. It's very much, here is our task. Let's do it together this is what I'm bringing to
0: the table and this is what I'm expecting of you that's such good insight around the right timing for it and really yeah. having you know the the content and the vision of what to do with that um, to bring into okay and then what about ad agencies
2: so ad agencies are are very important to us they drive a big part of our business and they mostly focus on brand awareness. Um, the way that it works is that, There is a huge funnel, and they drive the most amount of people to our brand, and then it trickles down eventually to sales and um, to recurring customers, which is what you want. I've really just made this very macro, but in the funnel comes a lot of different things. It is content that we generate in-house. It is visuals that we generate in-house. It is copywriting content. It is keywords, SEOs that we repeat across our website in different parts of our website so there's really a lot of repetition and we feed this machine and this drives us a lot of sales because for people to discover us they're definitely searching on google something like uh canadian betting canadian mm-hmm. uh, sustainable betting whatever it is and we really want to make sure that we're like hey we're here Mm -hmm. Don't go buying at your competitors and our competitors in the U.S. We provide the exact same thing out of Canada. And this is really, it's its a huge part. And and it happens quite often that I have people around me who are launching brands or who want to do, you know, who have different ideas. And this is my go-to. I I tell them you have to get an ad agency. And at the beginning, you have to pay to play. It's part Mm -hmm. of the game. Uh,
0: When you think of the vision for Amazon Tess growing, what is your vision? Uh,
2: My vision in a nutshell is to become the leaders in anything home in Canada. Uh, Right now, we are doing bedding. We started bedding for adults in a specific fabric. Right now, we're doing bedding for adults in about... Uh, five to seven fabrics. We've extended to kids and to babies. Uh, we are launching uh, Maison Tess ceramics, Maison Tess um, tableware. And we are working on a Maison Tess scent. This is what is up and coming for 2021. And I'm sticking to the home. I'm not doing anything else. Um I'm very, I think I, you can tell, I'm very clear on what I want. And I don't like to play on different fields. I'm completely comfortable doing one thing, owning one department and doing it very well. I don't have the need to like spread myself out in different things. Mm.
0: Well, just looking through your website, you basically created rooms that I just move, want to move into. So clearly, you have succeeded. So do I. <laughs> you have succeeded in that, Laura. I also know you are you are kind of the creative driver behind it. Like you are really the one mm-hmm. who invents and creates. I'm curious, how do you keep yourself fresh and creative? Like, where are your sources of inspiration, and how do you take yourself away from being in the business, <laughs> you know, the Excel spreadsheets, etc., to accessing creativity?
2: So I'm never out of the business. The business is part of me. It's not like I come to work every day and I have my work hat on and then I have my mom hat on or my whatever hat on. This is part of who I am. This is not an effort for me. This is, if anything, pure pleasure. Uh, I come here, I'm excited. And even if I have to do spreadsheets, like right now I'm working on very unexciting Excel spreadsheets, but like I'm super excited and I don't really know why, but it, it,
0: I, I am. Thank you so much, Laura. For those who want to Thanks. find more about your business, learn more about you online, where can they do so? So
2: they can go on MaisonTest.com. Our website is there. It is in French and in English, and you have all the information that you need. So if anyone wants to uh, shop on our website, please use the promo code Home for a 10% discount off
0: your first purchase. Amazing. Thank you so much, Laura, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Paulina. Thank you so much, Emily and Laura. Our mission at the Forum for Women Entrepreneurs is to amplify the voices of Canadian women entrepreneurs across all platforms. Typically, this time would be used as an ad or sponsor spot, but we've decided to dedicate the next 60 seconds to a woman-owned business in Canada to share their vision. Let's have a listen.
3: Are you looking to give back to families in need in a direct and meaningful way? Hi, I'm Libby Berenson, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Genies. Genies is a social gifting platform for those who need it most. We help nonprofits and their families create personal and anonymous wish lists of specific items they need, from everyday essentials to groceries and even dental services. Donors choose any product to donate, and it is delivered directly to the organization or the family. How can you help? You can become one of our genies, which is how we call our donors. Go to social.genies.co and grant a meaningful wish for a family directly. Feel like you want to make even a greater impact? We have launched our equity crowdfunding campaign to allow people like you join in our mission and help more families in our communities. Become one of our genies investors with as little as $250. Go to frontfinder.com slash genies. Get the investor superpower. For investments over $500, you get a personal referral code to give nonprofits of your choice six months free on Genies. Learn more at slash Genies.
0: Thank you for spending time with us and listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, share, and leave a review. Our goal is to leave no woman behind explore more about this episode and learn how to get plugged into our community by visiting theforum.ca slash discover and on our socials at theforum.ca. Thank you again to the Scotiabank Women Initiative and remember to visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com slash join now to find out how to join. Huge thanks also to the Women's Enterprise Organizations of Canada for your support. And last, but certainly not least, thank you to our incredible production team, Self-Hired Media. This podcast is also available in French, thanks to our incredible translation team at Hummingbird Translations. See you next time.